returning again this, this afternoon to the book of Philippians as we continue in our little series, The Pursuit of Joy. And this, morning, or this afternoon, we're going to be considering the title Paul's Spiritual Checklist. Paul's Spiritual Checklist. And we're going to be reading the first 11 verses again, and we're going to take time to focus on the last number of verses that we read. The book of Philippians, please. Chapter 1 and the verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. And I read, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my griefs. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more, in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this afternoon. Let's just bow in a word of prayer with God's word open on our laps. Father, truly we have reached the most important part of our service. For Father, now we have read your word. Father, we, we know that you promise that each time this book is open that your voice will speak. So Father, we thank you for these precious words that are before us. And Father, we long indeed today that you would help us to apply them to our hearts. Father, I pray for your help today. Father, I pray that as I proclaim your word, that you would fill me afresh with the Spirit of God. Father, that indeed I would know your help here as I preach. And Father, for each of us in this place today, we long indeed that you would minister to our hearts. And Father, as we leave this place, we will, we will leave rejoicing, saying, for it was good for us to be here. Because it was here that we met with the Lord. Meet with us, Lord, we pray. We ask this for your glory alone. And in the Savior's name, amen. Last week we began our studies in the book of Philippians and we noted that Paul wrote this letter while under house arrest or maybe even by this stage he might have been in a prison cell and he was awaiting execution. Paul was in death row. And of course he penned the letter while sitting in prison awaiting his death. He penned the letter all about joy in Christ. And what this letter teaches us that in all circumstances in life, 
There's a place that we can find joy. And there's a place that we can find respite. Last Lord's Day, we considered how this church in Philippi was a church which Paul loved dearly. We thought about its beginnings in Acts 16, and now 20 years later, as Paul sits in prison, he thinks about this church in Philippi. He was able to say that they were on his mind. He was able to say that they were in his heart. He loved them, and he was able to say that they were in his prayers. Both Paul and this church in Philippi, they had a common goal. And that goal was to support one another as they sought to make the Lord Jesus Christ known and as they sought to bring soul, to see souls one for Christ. They had a great gospel partnership. That's what we considered last week, their gospel partnership. And our focus this afternoon will be on these last three verses that we've read together from verse 9 through to verse 11. And this is what we read there. Paul says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We turn our focus to Paul's specific prayer for the Philippian believers. You remember last week that Paul told them in verse 4 that he was praying for them. He says, always in every prayer of mine, of mine for you all, making requests with joy. So Paul tells them he's praying for them, but in verses 9 to 11, he tells them exactly what he prays. And in his prayer, we find uh, that it's a prayer for spiritual growth, and therefore we find a little checklist that we can match up with this afternoon to see if we are growing in Christ. We're calling it Paul's spiritual checklist. This was Paul's prayer for spiritual growth for this little church in Philippi. You know, these, these believers in Philippi, they had made tremendous advances in their spiritual lives from the time that the church was born in Acts chapter 16. But Paul's prayer teaches us that a Christian, and in our Christian experience, it's not a static one. You don't stand still. It's a steady walk. It's a daily walk with God. And constant growth must be made. You know, Paul's prayers are recorded for us in the Bible. And they're some of the most precious verses that you read. You see, these are his written prayers. Paul opens up the door of his prayer closet and he lets you and I walk in. That's a very sacred place. To walk in when somebody else is praying. And here we see how Paul prays, we see what Paul prays, and we see why Paul prays. I wonder what we would find if we visited your prayer closet. What would you find if you visited my prayer closet? Well, what do we mean when we speak of prayer closet? Well, it's a place of personal prayer. It's not the prayer meeting. It's not a Wednesday evening, it's not before our services. The prayer closet is that place, that private place that you come away and you spend personal time with the Lord. Personal communion with God. The Lord Jesus spoke about the prayer closet in Matthew chapter 6 verse 6. He says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Your prayer closet or your place of prayer might be a room in your house. 
It might be even in the privacy of your car. Perhaps it might be in your bedroom. But I wonder, is there a place where you shut all other things out? You simply spend time with the Lord, speaking with Him, communing with Him. I wonder what we would find if we visited your prayer closet. Well, I'll tell you what I believe we would find. This is the same for all people, me included. We would either find the secret of your success or the reason for your failure. Maybe you feel today there's a lack of joy in your life. Or, or maybe you feel that, that in life circumstances, God isn't moving, that God isn't present, God isn't speaking. I wonder, is your lack of joy or your lack of power down to the fact that you've lost, you've lost out in the place of prayer? That you've lost out in the quiet place? What a wonderful place that we step into today. Paul opens the door of his prayer closet. And we step in and we find out what he is praying for these believers. John MacArthur has said in his commentary in these verses, There is no truer indicator of a Christian's level of spiritual maturity than his prayer life. He goes on and he says, Paul is compelled to pray by the continual and powerful working of God's Spirit in his heart. You see, prayer doesn't happen for the Christian out of a mere sense of duty. But the Christians should have an inner spirit, their inner spirit prompted with a desire to speak with the Lord and to see God honoured and the people around them saved and blessed. And this desire will find its natural expression in prayer. How is your prayer life? But we must consider these five specific topics that Paul prays for in this prayer list. What does he pray for this church in Philippi and how do we not jump? To Paul's prayer. But first, first of all, Paul, he speaks of love. He speaks of love. Look at verse 9. Love is the first item in Paul's spiritual checklist. And he says this, he says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. The first spiritual quality that Paul prays for the people of Philippi is that they will have a genuine love one for the other. That they would love each other. Now this isn't the love that's driven by if someone does something for you, well you'll do something for them. This isn't a romantic love. This is a sacrificial love. We spoke about that last Lord's Day. Calvary love. A sacrificial love. And anyone who's familiar with the New Testament will know that God's love for us is born out of the heart of biblical Christianity. God's love sent his son to die for us at Calvary. And the love that God has for you and I is like nothing else in this world. God's love is a transcendent love. It's a love without a point of comparison because nothing can compare to the love of God. John, when writing to the church, wrote, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. John says, It's amazing that you and I can be called the children of God. I wonder are you amazed that you're part of his family today. The wonder he often lost in wonder when you consider that the God of heaven would have you as part of his family. John said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, that I, should be called the sons of God. You know, God's agape love is so undeserved, yet God's love for us should lead us to wonder, awe, and praise. That's a challenge, isn't it? 
Let the Lord's going to bless you and I. And if we're going to go spiritually, Scripture makes it clear that we ought to love one another. Here's what the here's what the Savior says. He says, "By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one for another." But what does Paul say about this love? Well, I want you to see. Paul says that your love may abound. That your love may abound yet more and more. This whole love that Paul speaks of, it has a capacity to abound. It comes with the idea that it will overflow from the child of God with great abundance. It's a love that you can't help but display. It just flows over. It flows out of you. This love is dynamic for the believer. It just continuously grows. And because of that, it's like the cup that's just constantly overflowing. That love can't be kept and it has to be shared and we ought to love one another. When Paul uses the word abound, he refers to the extent of the love. But then he says abound yet more and more. And that speaks of the effect of the love. He wanted them to display their Christian love with more effectiveness. That means stepping out of the church door and showing love to the community around that, that means stepping outside the front door of your house and showing Christian love to your neighbour. That means sharing Christ with those around. I wonder do we do that? A binding love. It's a love for the Lord that you can't help but speak about. It's a love for the Lord and His example and the Spirit of God dwelling within me, and so much so that you just can't help but step out and show the love of Christ to all around you. That means the person in work who you can't stand. That person who gives you a difficult time. That person who's hard to work with. That neighbour who's hard to live beside. That means showing the love of Christ to them too. You know, sometimes these things can be difficult to do. But we're called to do that as the children of God. Let me tell you something. You and I, before a holy God, are worthless and nothing. And yet He saved you. And He saved me. I said, had offended a holy God. And yet today I'm finding His family. Oh, that we are loved would abound yet more and more for the saints of Christ, but also those who are lost in the world around us. But not only did Paul say that this love was to abound, but he said that this love was knowledgeable. Look again at the verse 9 here. It says that your love might abound yet more and more in knowledge. Dynamic godly love, it abounds in real knowledge. Or we could put it this way, the foundation of godly love is found in real knowledge. We're not talking about worldly academia. We're not talking about the knowledge and education that you get at university at school. It's talking about the love that is expressed in God's word, a true and a pure love. There's a story told about a little boy who lived in a farm outside of town. This little boy had never been into the town. You see, this was years and years ago before cars would have been on the roads and there wouldn't have been any modern machinery and there were dirt roads and everyone would have travelled in wagons and carriages and people would have walked or travelled in a horseback and I'm sure you can picture the scene. 
And finally the day came that this little boy was traveling into the local town for the first time with his father. And as he walked into the local town, there were all these sights and smells and different things that this boy was seeing for the very first time that caught the little boy's attention. But there was one particular place that caught his attention more than any other. You see, in the town there was a blacksmith. And in the blacksmith's shop there was an anvil. And on that anvil, the big heavy block of metal, there, there was this piece of metal and the, 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 the blacksmith, he was hammering at it and he was hitting it as hard as he could. The little boy, all he could hear was the clang, clang, clang. The boy asked his father, what is that? His father took him to the blacksmiths to show him. And this, there was this man with his huge hammer. It was like a sledgehammer. The blacksmith was strong and the boy could see his muscles. And there was a glowing piece of metal sitting there on the anvil. And the little boy watched as the blacksmith as he swung the hammer down harder and harder. And every time the hammer would have hit the anvil, the little boy would have winced. And the father explained to the boy that the blacksmith was the man who made the tools and, and fixed axles and wheels and ploughs and, and made horseshoes and many other things. But the little boy was fixed on that little block underneath the piece of metal and the hammer coming down and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And as they watched the blacksmith, he overheard the conversation and he paused and in that moment, the blacksmith, when he stopped, the boy asked, pointing at the anvil, he says, Aren't you afraid you're going to break that thing? And the blacksmith replied, Son, this anvil is 100 years old, and it's worn out 100 hammers. I want to tell you something, dear brother, dear sister, this afternoon. God's word is the anvil that has worn out 100 hammers. One thousand hammers. It's worn out millions of life's problems. It's worn out many a doubter. It's worn out many a person in search of meaning for life because they have found life in this book. Why? Because the Bible is true knowledge. It's infallible. You know, we describe God's word as infallible. What that means is it's completely trustworthy. It can be depended on. It's completely true. And Paul says to us this morning, that's the knowledge. That's the knowledge that you should build your Christian love upon. True knowledge. You see, obedience to God's word will mean that this love will abound yet more and more. And of course, the Lord said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This love is also discerning. It's abounding, yes. It's knowledgeable, yes. But it's discerning. It says that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That word judgment can be translated as discerning. I think that's quite helpful. You see, you've heard the term, I'm sure, love is blind. That's the way the world loves, blindly. It loves things that look attractive without much thought. And biblical love is far from blind. On the contrary, it's wise. You see, as we grow in knowledge and in spiritual maturity, naturally we'll become more discerning. Discernment is a mark of maturity. Biblical love understands the mind of Christ. It's true and knowledgeable. It makes wise assessments. 
It will provide clear directives for daily living. And the first part of Paul's prayer was that first and foremost, that the church's love would abound more and more, that they would love with all knowledge of Scripture, and that they would be discerning. They just wouldn't love everything that comes their way, but they would be discerning. But not only does Paul pray that they would love, but he prays for excellence. He prays for excellence. In Paul's spiritual checklist, we find here in his prayer the things that Paul mentions are in order, they're in sequence. And first of all, if love is in place, if love is in place, the next thing that builds upon that is spiritual excellence. It builds upon this. And Paul says in verse 10 that ye may approve things that are excellent. The word approve there is an important word. It's to examine. It's to prove something. It's to ensure that it's completely pure. Therefore, if we consider the whole phrase, it means to approve the things that are excellent. It's to do with giving the Lord our very best. We aren't talking about doing good things for the Lord. We can all do that. And we all want to do that, surely. But here Paul speaks of excellence. It's to do with giving the Lord your absolute best. Paul's prayer here is for the Philippians is that they will serve the Lord with the highest level of spiritual devotion. And let me ask you, in the work that you're called to do for the Lord, do you do it to the highest level of spiritual devotion? Or do you just go through the motions? When we open God's Word, we need to let it challenge us and mold us and change us. We have to ask ourselves the question in light of God's Word this afternoon, do I strive to live to the highest level of spiritual devotion and obedience to the Lord? Do I? Do I live in that way? Maybe this comes as a strong rebuke. I don't know. But I wonder, do you apply God's word and obeying God's word in its entirety to your whole life and serving him with all that you have. Do you know what this is, this excellence? It's to do with Christian character. And let me make this clear. Character is not what people see in the open. Genuine character is how you behave in secret. In other words, what God says. That's what Christian character is. And I'm asking you today, how's your Christian character? What God says. I wonder, can you see we're building here? We've got love. And then the next building block that leads on to is excellence. And then Paul's spiritual checklist continues. And as it continues, he speaks of integrity. Integrity. In verse 10, he says that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. Now what about that word sincere? The original word in Greek, it means without wax. It means to be tested by someone. Let me give you the background of that. In ancient times, in the biggest industry in the world, when Paul was living, would have been the pottery industry. And the pottery would have varied in quality. Uh, some just the way cars would vary in quality today, pottery varied in quality. You could have got thick pottery and thin pottery, and the cheapest pottery would be thick and solid. 
and didn't require much skill to make. But the finest pottery, it was thin, and it had a clear colour, and it would have been bought at a very high price. It took someone with great skill to make fine pottery. And fine pottery, because it was very fragile, it could have broke before or after being fired. And it should have been thrown out when it broke. But there were some dishonest dealers in those days. What they would have done is they would have taken a clear wax and they would have filled in the cracks. And when that wax dried, you, you wouldn't have been able to see it with the naked eye. And therefore some people in the shops, they would have sold it dishonestly. But if you brought that pottery outside and you held it up in the sunlight, the cracks would have shown. They would have came out as a deeper and a darker colour. And honest dealers would often mark their products without wax. This is what it means to be sincere. Just as the pottery was held up in the sunlight to reveal the cracks and defects, the obedient and faithful believer who is striving for excellence and living with integrity will be able to expose themselves often to the sunlight of Scripture. The writer of the Hebrews, de Hebrews declared, for the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Unfortunately, many people today try to cover their faults in various ways to appear, appear less spiritually flawed than they really are. But we're talking about integrity this morning. We're holding ourselves in the light of God's word. And between you and the Lord, I want you to see yourself as you really are this morning. You see, some people try to cover up and they use church attendance and generous giving and activity at church functions and spiritual talk even to get the appearance of spiritual integrity. But then when these people are spiritually are severely tempted or they're persecuted for their faith, that's when the cracks will often show. I wonder, do you seek to live for the Lord with full integrity? I mean, all the things you do. Would you be embarrassed for the people around you this morning to know what you're viewing on TV? Or streaming on Netflix? Or Prime Video? Disney Plus? Or the jokes that you laugh at at work? One day, some men came to threaten Charles Spurgeon. They were trying to blackmail him. They walked into his office and they threatened him, saying that if they didn't meet their demand, that if he didn't meet their demands, that they would publish things that would ruin his reputation. Do you know what he said back to them? This is what he said: "Write all you want about me." He says, "Across the heavens, I've nothing to hide. A life without wax." James Stalker preached one time on four men. In his first point, he spoke about the man the world seeks. In the second point, he spoke about the man our friends seek. The third point, he spoke about the man ourselves seek. And the final point was the man God seeks. And all four of these men were the same man. But only the last one was the real man. The man God seeks. The woman God saves. What does God see when he looks at my life and yours? Is it a life without wax? Is it free from pretense and hypocrisy? Or are you actually as you are? 
love, excellence, integrity, fruitfulness. Verse 10, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. If our love for the Lord is in place, then we will abide more and more, and we will live with excellence, and will seek to be integral without hypocrisy. If those things are in place, then fruitfulness will be natural. Paul says we ought to be fruitful so that we are without offence till the day of Christ. You see, we're responsible down here and we're accountable when we get to eternity. Together, we're responsible here and we'll be accountable for what we did as the Lord's people when we get to eternity. What are we responsible for? Well, we're to be without offence. Some trace translate that word as blameless, and Paul is praying that these Philippians will be blameless, that they will live lives that are integral and will be blameless, and with them being blameless, that they won't be a stumbling block to others coming to know Christ as Savior, that they won't be a stumbling block to that weaker brother or sister in Christ. You see, if we're living lives that are blameless, people will look to us and they will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And therefore, they will want to know what we have. I wonder, are you a stumbling block to others finding Christ the Savior? You know, I sadly once heard it said, when I was witnessing to someone, they said to me, I'll tell you why I won't become a Christian. See that fellow who lives over there? He's a Christian. He's horrible. He's a terrible neighbor. So because of that, I'll never become a Christian. That's sad. That breaks my heart. May you and I never be the people to cause someone to say something like that. That's what many in the world see. Some of you are the only Bible that they'll read. I wonder what people see in your life. You see, when we're living blameless, that's when fruit will be produced. Do you remember what the Savior said? I said, I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And it's that idea of abiding in Christ. We spoke about that last week. And certainly God wants the fruit of the Spirit, Christian character that glorifies him to be evident in our life. Lives of Paul actually describes fruit in Romans 1 verse 13. He describes bearing fruit as winning souls for Christ. He also names holiness as a spiritual fruit in Romans 6 verse 22. And he exhorts us to be fruitful in every good work in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. And that includes the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lives, which we read about in Hebrews 13, 15. And why, the question we must ask, why are we redeemed? Why has Christ redeemed you? Why does the Spirit of God dwell within you? Well, it's simple that you may bear fruit. And the Lord, he's not interested in simple church activities. Any church can run like a community center without Christ. The Lord is interested in the kind of spiritual fruit that is produced when we're abiding in Christ. Fruitfulness. That's what's important. Not going through the motions, but that we're living for Christ and seeking to see souls saved and build the saints up to be living for Christ more and more. Love, 
excellence, integrity, fruitfulness, whole spiritual checklist. But finally, what's it all about? Why have we lived with this love and excellence and integrity and fruitfulness? What's it all about? Well, Paul closes his prayer making that very, very clear. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, listening unto the glory and praise of God. What's it all about? For the glory of God. What's the purpose of spiritual growth? What's, what's the purpose of life as a child of God? Well, my life and yours is to be led on to the glory and praise of God. You know, John Piper often says that we are most satisfied in him. He, he is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. I love that phrase. He, God, is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's letting for him. Bringing glory to his name. Onto the glory and praise of God. Is that not the goal for every Christian? That we would become full and faithful and fruitful Christians that God might get the glory and he might get the praise for what we're doing. I wonder if your life's called to bring glory and praise to God. To bring praise to his name because he's worthy of it for all that he's done in your life. Let me tell you, if you're in pursuit of joy in your life, that's what we'll call the series, isn't it? The pursuit of joy. If you're in pursuit of this joy in your life, there's no better place to start than to bring glory to God's name. Isn't Paul's prayer for this little ascetic sounding and celebrating just wonderful? I think it is. He didn't just merely pray that the Lord would bless the church fellowship. He prayed that their love would grow. He prayed that they would be faithful in obeying God's word. He prayed that they would live with excellence, not just being good, not living good, but they would live with excellence, living with a high standard, living with integrity, not to appear in one way in the open, hiding things in secret. He, and he prayed that their lives would be fruitful and that all the glory would go to God. What a great prayer. What a great place to step into Paul's closet, prayer closet, and to see what he prays for a church. You know, we ought to make this prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Philippi our prayer for the church in Greenwich. I challenge my own soul this afternoon as I challenge yours before the Lord. How do you measure up against Paul's spiritual checklist? Oh, that your life and mine would constantly cry out with the refrain, Will come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Father, so often your word comes as a challenge to us. 
we pray for this fellowship here that our love would abound yet more and more. We pray that collectively and individually that we would seek to give our very best to you, that we would live with excellence. Father, today we claim the blood again. We thank you that a sea of people is constantly cleansing us from our sin, and it does a continuous work. 